The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. The scripture reading for the day is Matthew 18 and verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the word of the Lord. When I was about 14 years old, I remember having to make the dreadful walk from the second floor where my classes were held to the principal's office at Clark Middle School. And though I was normally a rule keeper, I had just engaged in the somewhat inevitable fight with another student. And there I sat in front of our tall, intimidating, gray-haired principal, my heart pounding so hard that my shirt moved rhythmically with every beat. Next to me sat my mother who was called in for this offense. The confrontation that day was a very humbling but a helpful experience. And you know, confrontation is often very uncomfortable. It has a way of humbling a person. Done in the right way, though, it is a necessary part of a of the Christian life. This subject has become very taboo in the church. Confrontation and discipline when sin occurs are, are not really valued in our culture. Most people want to be left alone. They want to avoid being called out. So even in the church, when biblical, biblical confrontation occurs, the offenders often respond defensively telling the other party that the Bible says not to judge, which, by the way, is often taken way out of context. Confrontation is a vital and necessary part of a healthy church, and we want to be a healthy church. So I want to begin here if you're taking notes, and I hope you are. Uh, I want to answer this question, why should we confront other believers? I'm talking about Confrontation between two Christians. Why should we confront other believers? Number one is this. Straying Christians or wandering Christians are of great value. Okay, Christians who are in sin are of great value. This section that precedes our text today, if you go up just several verses, there's the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, this parable illustrates the Father's concern for each individual believer, not just the church collectively, but listen, He cares about each and every one of you. How many believe that? And Jesus moves from talking about this parable 
to talking about accountability and restoration of our Christian brothers and sisters. So here's what I believe. The Father's concern for a Christian in sin must be our concern. We don't get to say, oh, just leave it up to God. No, God is concerned and He calls us to do something about it. And we must be willing to help others through godly conflict resolution. Hebrews 3.12, I quote this often, says this, Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I mean, no, we don't want to do that. You don't want your heart to get hardened lest you depart from the living God. But here's how he says to guard from that. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another daily. He's talking to Christians. Exhort one another daily while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So one of the means of grace that the Lord uses to keep believers in the faith, to keep them from falling, if you will, is the exhortation of other Christians. I know it's popular to say, well, you know what? My God, you know, I, I worship God in the woods. And can you worship God in the, in the woods? Yes. But that is not a replacement for the local church. Worship Him everywhere you go, but make sure you're in church. To exhort means simply this, to strongly urge someone to do something. And so part of exhorting is calling out sin in another believer's life. And, and how are you strongly urging them in that? You're saying, stop it. Stop it. Don't do it. Run for your life. Okay, turn back to God. If you're in sin this morning, let me just take this opportunity and say, stop it before it is too late. Turn to the living God. So confrontation can be used by the Lord to bring a straying Christian back to the fold or to the church. Number two, why confront? Secondly, it's because of this. Forgiveness is non-negotiable and reconciliation is desirable. Now, within the church, I, listen, I don't know how you can forgive without confronting. Because if someone has sinned against you and you don't talk through it, you, really, you might think you get over it, but you actually, you never really get over it. You know, people say, well, time will heal it. Well, maybe not, because if you leave a wound untreated and you say, well, time will heal it, what might happen? Infection might set in and you might lose your whole arm or worse, right? So we, we've got to be willing to confront. So this is part of the forgiveness process. I really believe that. And so again, we move to context. Um, in the following verses after this text, Peter asks in verse 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he says, as many as seven times. And Peter thinks he's being really gracious. Like, all right, I'm going to give somebody seven chances. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And he's not giving you a particular number. He's saying, as many times as you're offended, you are to forgive. And when you don't forgive, you know what you're telling God? God, it's unjust to forgive people when they keep sinning. Which means you're not really looking in the mirror. Amen? Jesus then tells the parable of the unforgiving servant, making the point that 
If we don't forgive, we do not get forgiveness. It's that simple. But even beyond forgiveness, hear me, I'm talking about Christian to Christian. The hope is not just for forgiveness, but it is for reconciliation. Verse 15 says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, now listen to this language, you have gained your brother. You know, you're not just acquaintances again. No, we become again brothers and sisters in Christ. It's like the family has been put back together. That's the heart of the gospel. That's God's heart. He doesn't want us just to forgive. He wants us to be completely reconciled. And there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness only takes one person. You can forgive somebody whether, uh, re- whether they want to be forgiven or not. But it takes two to be reconciled. Forgiveness is instantaneous. You, you are to forgive somebody immediately. You don't hold a grudge against them. You don't wish, wish vengeance upon them. But reconciliation is often a process, isn't it? But that's the goal. There's a third reason to confront other believers, and it's this. One of my favorite sayings, love demands confrontation. Love demands confrontation. Jesus Christ, the most compassionate man to ever walk this earth, commands us to confront other believers. Now, confrontation may seem rude, but if Jesus commands us to do it, I promise you, it is loving when we do it in the right way. If you truly care about someone, hear me, you will confront them. Somebody who just sings your praises all the time is being very untruthful with you. I know it feels good, but they're lying because you have faults and I have faults. And I don't say that we go around, I mean, you know, every day, hey, I just want to put you down today to make sure you don't get conceited. No, but when there's sin in your life, it takes a true friend who loves you enough, who's willing to be uncomfortable Uh, put in that uncomfortable situation to call you out. You ought to thank God for people like that in your life because it may save your life. I love Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So you have people that say they're your friend that will will kiss you, right? Not literally, hopefully. But, uh, you know, they, they, it's, it's that, that idea of they're always just telling you how great you are. But behind your back, they're talking about you. In their heart, they're harboring bitterness and hatred and anger. That's not a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means this. When you are told that something is a sin, it sings, uh, stings sometimes. You know, if you are in sexual immorality, for instance, and somebody tells you what you're doing does not line up with the Bible, you may get mad, it may sting, it may hurt, because, hey, this is the life I want to live. That person is your friend because it stings, and it stings for your good. The hope is is that moves you to repentance So love demands confrontation. That's why we confront. I hope I've made a good enough 
case for that. I, I would just simply say Jesus says to confront other believers. That, to me, settles it. Secondly, I want to address, address how to confront other believers. Now, I want to take just a moment here and explain this. Please notice this. This is not instructions on how to confront the people of the world. I'm not to judge non-Christians. That's not my place. My job is to hold other believers accountable. All right? These are instructions are between brother and sister in Christ. Also, this is how to confront sin, not your personal preferences. Okay? You don't like something about the, you know, the way they wear their hair or whatever. All right? Unless it's a sin, don't talk about it. All right? You don't have, this is not talking about your pettiness or legalism. Don't put people under bondage. Listen, for years the church has called things sin that are not sin. They put undue and unnecessary weight on people's shoulders. This is about true sin, what the Bible calls sin. Okay? Now, when this happens, when somebody sins against you, here's what you do. Number one, first step, you meet privately. All right? Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And the hope is you won't have to go any further than this. So when a brother or sister in Christ sins against you, you are to go to them in love privately. And you may say, well, pastor, this is just not me. I'd rather just tell the pastor and let him deal with it, right? You're not How many people are not confrontational? Like you would say, man, this is not me. This is really uncomfortable for me. The Bible doesn't let you off the hook here. I know, listen, I don't love confrontation, and I have to be confrontational way too often. So you're to go privately. When someone sins against you, the Bible bids us to go to that person. We're supposed to talk it out. And you know what happens when we don't confront that person? You know what the tendency is to do? It's to talk behind their back to other people. Now we're in sin because we're gossiping. It's a horrible thing. All right? It, we, we have this temptation to talk to other people. By the way... We have a word. For, we, we like to go to other people. And we know that gossip is wrong. And gossip is you talking behind anybody's back at all. That's, you know, you saying anything negative about anybody when they're not present. That, that's what gossip is. You don't want people to do that to you. I don't want you to do it to me. We need to honor this with one another. But we like to be spirit. We spiritualize things that we want to do. All right? Here's what we call it. Ready? There's two things. Number one is venting. All right? Y'all look sleepy today, so just look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, venting is of the devil. <laughs> All right? Venting is of the devil. It's the same thing as gossip. No matter how you package it, what is it? It's gossip. It's talking about someone who is not present. The other thing, when we're super spiritual, I just have a prayer concern for so-and-so. You know? And then we start to just tear them down. No! We don't want that to happen in this church, all right? This is what tears churches apart. And let me say this. We're to go, when, when you've been offended by someone, you've been sinned against, we are to go to that person quickly, okay? The longer you sit on it, the more it festers. And if they are in sin, you don't need to wait. You might save their life 
by going to them quickly. I don't think you should fly off the handle, by the way. It might be you taking an hour or two to pray, but you need to meet soon. And I get this, Ephesians 5.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. It's not wrong to be angry, but he says, do not sin. And watch this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. You know what happens when you don't confront somebody immediately? If you let the sun go down on your anger, you have given the place to the devil for a hardness of heart, for bitterness to take root. Okay? Now, again, I think it's really helpful to assess the situation, to step back if you've been sinned again, uh, against. But do not take too much time. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And if your brother or sister in Christ repents at this point when you've confronted them, keep the matter between the two of you. You don't need to come to me and say, hey, I want you to know so-and-so sinned, and by the way, we've, we're fixed now. No. Love covers a multitude of sins. I love James 5, 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now that makes confrontation as difficult as it is, it makes it worth it. If the brother or sister does not listen to you, you go to step two, and that is you meet with a party. You go from privately to meeting with a party. Two or three other trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, unbiased brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't call, go pull your mama, your daddy, and your brother to, you know, to come in and say, well, we just... No, you need somebody unbiased. Verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Godly confrontation is meant to humble us. It's meant to lead us to repentance. But often, when our hearts are already being hard, and you know what we do when we're confronted about our attitudes, about our actions? We're defensive. We're defensive. We don't want to be told. So two or three other brothers or sisters in Christ coming in, being brought in on the situation is very helpful because doesn't it help to hear it from somebody else sometimes? To hear that confirmation, it's so important. And there are at least three reasons for this. This is brought out in the uh, Preaching the Word commentary. There's three reasons for bringing uh, two or three other people in at this point. Number one is this. It's to guard against false accusation. To guard against false accusation. It could be that you've misread the situation if you have a problem with somebody else. So you need somebody unbiased to clear the name of that person. So having two or three unbiased witnesses actually might establish evidence the other way. The purpose of this is not to gang up on the offender. It's to actually to give them a voice. It's an opportunity to let them make their case. There's a second reason here. It's to help a brother or sister who is in the wrong see his or her sin. If the evidence is established by these witnesses against the brother or sister and it's confirmed that he or she is in sin, having other people add their voice of reproof can lead to repentance. By the way, when we talk about brother and sister, I shouldn't assume this, we're, we're, that's a general term in the Bible for another believer. 
Don't say bro, when you hear brother, we mean brothers or sisters in Christ. We are the family of God, all right? Last year, um, I had a couple situations to where, you know, I had met with individuals and they wouldn't hear me. They didn't repent. But bringing other people in helped and it moved it to repentance. And it was a beautiful thing. It wasn't a ganging up on somebody. That's the goal. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. But this is so helpful in the lives of believers. There's a third reason for this plan of action. It's this, that these men and women that you bring in can serve as public witnesses if the matter has to be brought before the church. If this gets to the next step, we're going to talk about a moment where this has to come before the church. You don't want to bring the, be the lone ranger where you brought this charge against somebody because you're going to have some haters who say you're unfair or who are you to judge or whatever. They're going to say that you read the situation wrong. It's great to have somebody that has your back in that meeting. It's good to have somebody standing behind you. So that's why we do this. And hopefully that will move people to repentance. Normally it won't go any further than this in the church. But if it, there's still no repentance, here's number three, what you do. We're to actually meet publicly. The issues to go before the church. Now how does that fit with modern culture? In our postmodern world. How, how does that fit? Where you're brought before the church and essentially judged. That doesn't sit well, right? Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell, to, uh, tell it to the church. Some of you are like squirming, like, man, I better get this right with God. Like, I don't want, I don't want to be called up at the end of service. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, why? See, continued sin impacts the entire fellowship. If you have one member of your physical body, one limb or some part of your body that is not working properly and you just neglect it, eventually that's going to start to affect other impact other parts of your body that are going to have to overcompensate. It hurts the whole body. I mean, if you've ever even just hurt like your pinky toe, you don't realize how much you need your pinky toe until you hurt it. Can I get a witness? Yeah, you hurt your, your little finger. I, I broke one of mine once. And man, I never realized how much I needed that little finger, right? It's crazy. So here's the, here's the deal. When one of you are in sin and you're in a covenant relationship with our church, it actually affects the, the wellness of our entire church. It affects the well-being of our entire church. So the church should get a voice in this. Now before we, we describe this, let me ask, whose fault is this? You can't blame the preacher. You can't blame the one who uh, confronted in the first place. No, it is the result solely of the unrepentant brother or sister in Christ. That individual has had every opportunity, if it's been handled in this way, to have the situa uh, situation handled in privacy, taken care of. Now it becomes an official reprimand by the local church. And the hope is here that when it's brought before the church and the church is going, hey, this is a big deal, that they'll go, you know what, you're right, and they'll repent and they'll be received well and, and you can move on with your life. That's the goal. But if it doesn't happen, you know what the next step is? It's excommunication. Gasp. 
excommunication with the hope that they'll see the seriousness of sin and actually will repent. Now, we often say these words, we're not to judge, right? That is so taken out of context. No, we are to judge within the body of Christ. We're not to judge out there. I don't mean to be redundant, but very, very important that you get this. We are to call out sin in one another's life. Scripture says to do so, all right? We're to exhort one another daily. 1 Corinthians 5, 11, we see a picture of this excommunication, this severe form of, of punishment, if you will. 1 Corinthians 5, 11, but Paul writes, but now I'm writing to you, the church in Corinth, he says, not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother. This is for other Christians. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an adulterer, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Watch this. Not even to eat with such a one. Not talking about worldly people. Okay? We expect them to be sinners. He's talking about within the church. You have somebody who has an unforgiving heart. You have somebody who is a reviler, always stirring up trouble. You have a, an adulterer, a drunkard, a swindler, um, somebody that's in sexual immorality, somebody that's greedy. He says, don't even associate with them if they're in that unrepentant sin. Wow. Why? Because we want them to feel the weight of their sin so that they might move to repentance. Look at, if you go back up, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, you are to deliver this man, this man who's in sexual sin, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And you may read that and go, wow, that's really nice. That seems really churchy, doesn't it? But here's the reason why. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's what Paul says. You know, one of the hardest prayers you can pray for somebody that's backslidden is, Lord, let them hit rock bottom so that they might look up to you. Isn't that incredible? That's, I mean, that's a tough prayer to pray, but that's what it takes sometimes to get people's attention. Listen, if you just act like everything's all right, you're, you're meeting for dinner all the time, and you're, oh, yeah, I just want to be nice because I want them to see that I love them and stuff. That seems really loving. It's not because it's telling them, it's condoning their sin. They think it's okay. The kindest thing you can do for somebody in sin that calls themselves a Christian, if they don't repent, you've gone through all of this, this whole process, is to say, sorry, until you repent, I just cannot be around you. I can't do it. It seems severe, but that's what we're called to do. Now, the ultimate goal, again, of this confrontation is repentance for a believer who's in sin. So number three, I'll close with this. By what authority can we make a decision like that? By what authority do we confront people? I mean, who are we, right, to judge? That's what we'll get asked. Who are you? You think you're so much better than me? Well, Jesus addresses this in three verses. You're going to like this. Three verses that might be three of the most misused verses in the Bible. You hear this all the time, abuse. Context is very important. Have you heard me say that before? Context is very, here it is. Truly I say to you, verse 18, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Have you ever read that and wondered what in the world that means? And the Pentecostal church has taken that and they have a heyday with it. They're binding and loosing all kinds of things. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, 
It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. You heard that used for anything? This is all in the context of confrontation, reconciliation. And here's a good one. I used to misuse this all the time before I knew better. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You know, we lose a certain energy when we have low crowds like, like this one today. Um, you know, we're trying to build two services now. And so one of the things that when we'd have a low, low crowd in the past, I would always say, hey, where two or three are gathered, there he is. That's not what this verse is about. If I'm by myself, he's there with me. We can't flee the presence of God. What's he talking about here? Well, let's address binding and loosing. Number one, binding and loosing has to do with the punishment that's about to take place. Dr. Craig Keener, who, by the way, is a Pentecostal theologian, writes that binding and loosing terms are normally used for tying up or imprisoning versus freeing or releasing. That's all it is. It's a verdict. Am I gonna, are you going to be punished? Are you going to be locked up? Are you going to be set free? And he says this provides a natural metaphor for condemning or acquitting in a court. This then would be applied to those who are responsible for discipline within the church. That's what this is about. So when you bring somebody you know, to the, in front of the church and you make that difficult, difficult decision, the Lord's saying, listen, whatever you... If you followed this process and you're following my word, you're, by the way, verse 20, you're gathered in his name, which means you're listening to the will of the Lord, and this is what you decide on earth, it's done in heaven. And what Jesus is saying is simply this. The person, the offender can't go, oh, Lord, you know, I can't believe they did this to me. It's, it's the nice way that one commentator said this. He said, it's the nice way of Jesus saying to that offender, shut it. <laughs> okay, it's been decided. Isn't it good to have the... There's nothing more frustrating if you've been given some uh, power at work as a manager and you make a decision and the manager goes over top of you and reverses it. It's not ever fun, is it? Well, Jesus is saying, listen, I've, I've, you do this in the right way, by my word, by my will, you've got the backing of heaven behind you because this is a difficult decision to make. Then he says, if two of you agree, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything... They ask, it would be done for them by my Father in heaven. Again, verse has been greatly abused. Lord, I want a new Mercedes in my driveway. So here, there it is, right? That's not what this verse is about. It's in, it's in the context of confrontation. Okay? If the local church gathers together in the name of Jesus to judge another Christian from the local body, and you're asking in Jesus, he's going to lead you to make this decision, and he's going to back you up. If those providing disciplinary action follow the word of the Lord, they're agreeing together, where they're, they're in agreement, okay? If we're going to make a decision like this, those two or three brothers and sisters that have been brought in need to be in agreement at what needs to be done. And when they do, the Lord again is backing them up. And then finally, he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, this is not about the importance of prayer meeting, even though I believe in the importance of prayer meeting. Jesus is with everyone by His Spirit. You've got to look at the verbiage there. You've got to carefully read the Bible. The two or three, that verbiage there, it pushes us back to the same verbiage used in the preceding verses about two or three witnesses. That's what He's talking about. When these witnesses are in agreement about how to handle the discipline of an unrepentant believer, 
and these measures of judgment are taken, Jesus is encouraging the church, again, heaven is behind you. There I am in the midst of you. I support you. My presence is with you. You don't have to do this alone. When we take this plan of action prayerfully, in a way that lines up with His Word, as harsh as it may sound, it's the right thing to do, and Jesus backs us up all the way. I've shared a little bit of this story before, so I'll tell it very quickly, but uh, I have a friend of mine who pastors a church. There was a lady and a, a man in his church who were living in sexual sin. lady becomes pregnant. They were not married. And they don't repent. They continue sleeping together. They think it's okay because we love each other. The Bible clearly speaks against sex outside of marriage. So my, this pastor uh, confronts this young lady and young man. And these are adults, by the way. He confronts them and they don't repent. They get defensive. So he does what the Bible says and he brings in some deacons. And they confront and confirm, hey, this is what's going on. This is wrong. You can't live in sexual sin. They don't repent. I don't remember exactly how, but some way it's brought before the church. And either they were asked to leave or they left of their own volition. And they, they were mad and they, they stormed out talking, you know, who are you to judge, these kinds of things. That's a tough situation, isn't it? Let me tell you why this is so good, though. A few months go by. Guess who shows up at the church? this young couple and they thank this pastor profusely saying if it weren't for you taking this so serious and showing us the seriousness of the sin we may have never repented I said thank you thank you for being real with us thank you for being honest with us thank you for going through all of this so that we might repent and they were accepted back into the church as far as I know doing great got married living right that's the point listen Confrontation's not easy, but it's necessary. You're in a church where we believe in this, by the way. Okay? We believe in this. You know, if we see you in sin or you've sinned against us, we believe in talking it out because churches split. People fall away when it's not talked out. Uh, very interesting, just a few weeks ago, I was told that somebody was, was kind of talking behind my back. And... Uh, Scripture I always try to keep in mind is, is uh, 1 Corinthians 13. forget which exact verse. It's the love chapter, we call it. And it says, love hopes all things and believes all things, which means don't believe the worst. Innocent until proven guilty, right? Don't believe the worst. Don't believe everything you read in the media. Don't, wait, wait till you know the facts. All right? So when you hear something about somebody that they did something against you or whatever, just wait a minute. Talk it out. Don't jump, jump to uh, conclusions. So I called immediately this person in our church and I said, hey, heard this, some things were said and we need to sit down and have a face-to-face -face meeting. I freak some people out when I do that because they don't expect to be, <laughs> you know, hardly anybody calls people out anymore, but it's necessary. Well, they couldn't meet that night. They couldn't meet the next night. And man, I hate when things just sit like this. They couldn't meet the next night. Finally, I believe the following night they met, like three or four days. 
So we're sitting in that office, my, in my office, and uh, there was some misunderstanding. It wasn't as bad as what, what I thought originally, but there were things said, and they repented, and the meeting was almost done. And I want to be just really transparent with you. The meeting was almost done, and we, we, we felt reconciled, and the Holy Spirit lay something on my heart. And I believe this is what he said to me, Chris, you need to repent for doing the same thing to them that they did to you. They're, this couple, they're continually talking to me, and I've kind of tuned them out now because I'm, I'm like, oh, man, this is hard. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this because I've just told them about, you know, you, you can't gossip. You can't vent. And here's what I realized. Here's what the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. Because I couldn't meet with them that night, I had a board meeting. And I said to my, my board, and I called it concern. I have concern, and here's what, here's what happened. Here's what was said. And then the next night, I was with um, an, another associate pastor of mine. And I said, guys, I just got to tell you what happened. My heart's just broken. I haven't even talked to these people yet. So I took a deep breath, swallowed that big gulp. And I said, guys, before you go, I have to repent to you because I did the same thing to you that I'm telling you not to do to me. And they were gracious. They only punched me one time. But I tell you that to say, we can all fall into this trap and try to justify our actions. Well, I'm a pastor. This is different. I need to talk to them. No. I, the way I justified it to my board is, well, I just need advice. I know what to do. I, I know the Bible. I, I know how to handle it. I don't need advice in, in that. Now, if it wasn't settled in that meeting, yeah, that's when you call the board in. Okay? I'm just telling you, this, man, we need to get better at this. Don't let bitterness take hold of your heart. Maybe somebody's done something to you a long time ago. I had a lady come up to me a few months ago and say, so-and-so did something to me 20 years ago, 15 years, I don't remember it was, 10 years ago, a lot of years ago. And it's really, it's really offended me. This person probably doesn't even know. And I said, are you kidding me? It's affecting the whole church. It's affecting you. It's affecting your... And I hear that all the time in the church. And, and that kind of a heart will close you off to the presence of God. That bitter heart will close you off to God's presence. It'll push you so far away from everything godly and holy. Because we are being forgiven. We've been given so much. And God expects us to extend that same forgiveness. And a lot of times, again, I'll, I'll, last thing I'll say... Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org. God, in Jesus' name, help us today to be people who just obey your word no matter what. And we love you and we praise you. Speak to our hearts today. We ask, draw us closer to thee. Lord, if there's one here who's harboring bitterness in their heart, let it be healed today. Let us be a people who handle conflict in a God-honoring way, we ask, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I just want to quickly invite you to stand. The praise team is going to come. We're going to sing that God is so good one more time.